Today's episode is for all the cheese lovers out there. I'm joined by Ed Hancock, the founder of Cheese Geek, which delivers premium cheeses to subscribers all over the UK. He started the business in 2017. Last year, it turned over 1.5 million. Sound advice, get year one in business right, is brought to you by Sage. I'm your host, Bex Burn-Calendar. So let's talk cheese. Ed, so wonderful to have you on the show and so excited to talk about cheese for the next hour. Um, Thank you for being here. Thank you very much for having me. And again, the opportunity for me to talk about cheese for an hour is absolutely delightful. (laughs) Well, maybe we'll start with that. So tell me about your passion for cheese. How long have you been, is it a churophile? What was the word you told me, the the official term for a churophile? How long have you been a churophile? I am officially a churophile. Um, I, I've probably been a cheerful now for uh, over 25 years. I mean, I may have been a cheerful for even longer, but sort of unaware of it. <laughs> um, but the, the clearest memory I have was when I was 11, going to France with my parents, going to the first fine dining restaurant I'd ever been to. And after the meal, the cheese trolley got wheeled out and uh, I was just blown away. I was like, what, what is this? What are all these? I've never seen anything like it. I've never smelt anything like it. The colours, shapes, sizes. But then the expert who was wheeling them out, his knowledge of the cheeses and the amount of information on all of them was just incredible. And I said, this is so much more exciting than than pudding. Um, And so from that moment on, I became a bit of a cheese nerd, I guess. Uh, And then I had a nickname, Cheese Monster, pretty much from then on through school, uni. I'd always have a a piece of decent cheese in the fridge, no matter how skint I was. And uh, it just became a trademark of if you live with me, you knew there'd be cheese that shouldn't be in the fridge. Far too expensive for a student with no money. Um, <laughs> but she, yeah, so I, I, it was kind of 11 was definitely, I think, the, the memory I have of that moment the aha moment where I was like cheese is pretty amazing but for most of your life it's been a a passion but definitely something that was like not entwined with your career you went off and you did other stuff um so how did you end up combining your your day job with this passion so when I was 13 you go to school whatever that was in the mid 90s you do your subjects you're given you get to a level you get to like pick a new one, which sounded quite exciting. I was like, economics sounds exciting. It's a bit different. And I was kind of bored of the subjects I've been doing up till then. And then you're sort of like geared towards uni. Everyone's like, right, you've got to go to uni. Which uni do you want to go to? It's not like, do you want to go to uni? Mm. It's which uni are you going to go to? Mm. You have the careers chat, which is generally if you've been to certainly the kind of school I went to, the careers chat is, well, your options are uh finance economics accounting medicine you know it's like a very small group and so everyone's just doing the same thing so you don't really have a chance to think what else is out there you're living in this quite tunnel vision existence Mm. and uh and I was funneled in that way so did economics went to uni read economics came out went into finance and that was just kind of what was expected all around and I didn't really think about it um so for 15 or so years, uh, 12, 15 years in finance, uh, cheese was like my <laughs> my evening and weekend uh, pastime. When I say pastime, I, I mean just eating cheese um, or going out exploring, trying to find new cheeses. Um, 
but it was it was yeah I was going down a very very traditional career path but to answer your question how did they loop back and intertwine well I think 10 12 years down the track and I kind of achieved what I set out to achieve quicker than I thought so I thought you know look 30 40 years in the in the industry I probably got there a little bit quicker and it gave me a chance to have a bit of a pause for reflection and um over the years I had been getting really into uh, the neuroscience of decision making, how our brains kind of dictate a lot of our emotions that we feel when we're making decisions, mm-hmm. making good decisions, bad decisions, but also this kind of spill over into consumer behavior and how consumers make decisions, which in turn spilled over into why great brands become great consumer brands. So it really got me excited about understanding the DNA of great brands. I mean, there's lots of little stories I could put in here, but I think overall, to answer your question, the love of cheese has always been there. The love of great consumer brands really developed and built. And then I just got to a point in my career where I was ready for something and the two sort of came together. And I just thought, I want to wake up Monday morning and be super excited about my week. And uh, that was the like naive bit of me, which was like, oh, starting a business can be so exciting. I'll be my own boss. Um, I'm going to love Mondays. And then you realize quite quickly that actually you you might enjoy your Monday mornings a bit more, but you enjoy your weekends less because you're working on them. Mm. But I guess that was how, that's the background story to how I got from where I was to cheese. And it's a big jump. I doubt anyone's ever done that. But was there a tipping point as in like, was there, was there just a really crap day at the office where you were like, I just don't want to look at investments again? Or did you get a subscription box or something else and Mm. think, why can't I get this for cheese? Was there like a snappy kind of, that's it. I've, I've I've reached the end of this road. There were three and, and the three were kind of coming from different angles, but they converged at the same point. So number one was my local cheesemonger closed down and I was forced to look elsewhere. And my local cheesemonger was great because I got to know them. I felt quite comfortable and I enjoyed cheese, but knew very little about it. Certainly did not an expert in any way. Um, so I started having to look further afield and started realizing it's actually quite an intimidating industry in terms of, you know, 60 cheeses laid out in front of you. Usually when you're buying cheese, it's the weekend or Christmas where they're busy. You don't really have time to stay and chat. Mm. And it's, it, it's just not the experience that I was used to. So then I started trying to explore delivery cheese and it was terrible. So I think that was one thing that got me thinking. I think the second thing was I read a book called Where's My Cheese? And that <laughs> is a complete coincidence that that book had cheese in it. But it's a book about, it's more a book about um, sort of thinking about your career and you as a person. And it's about two mice and one mi- one mouse is very happy to eat his pile of cheese until it's finished in this maze and then has no idea what to do and he's going to just like starve. And the other mouse who realizes this cheese is about to run out and goes searching for new cheese before it's too late. And that sort of struck home with me. I, I felt that I wanted to do something before I was forced, um, either because I was unhappy or, you know, whatever it might be. I thought now's the time to preempt that and try and look for something different to do. And the final one was I was at a wine tasting and they were tasting, they had fine wines out. The wines were incredible. But the cheese was awful. And I asked the guy there, what, you know, where'd you get the cheese from? And he said, I was like, it's from the supermarket next door. Mm. And I just thought, wow, you, you, we're tasting 30, 40 pound bottles of wine and the cheese is probably a couple of quid. And I just thought, you know, 
that was three that really stand out in terms of things that made me think, look, you know, uh, I could probably do something better here. And where did you start? So you kind of thought, right, I know there's a better way to get people really amazing, top quality, delicious cheeses. But what was the kind of step one on this journey? How did you get the whole thing off the ground? Literally, very number one step was I called uh, one of my best friend's wives. She's a graphic designer, incredible graphic designer. And I said, I've got this idea. Um, I'm going to do cheese, but better than anyone else. Um, and I'm going to get the UK excited about artisan cheese because, you know, this is even even though it's only four years ago, uh, even now, to be honest, you know, there's like nearly a thousand British varieties of cheese, but people could probably name five or six of them if that. Mm. So there's just huge disconnects. So I was like, I'm going to get people excited about cheese. Can you bring this to life? Like we need this to visually look very different from just being a cheese shop online. So she started to bring it to life, which made it quite exciting. You know, so I was very fortunate to have her to drop an email to. Uh, and so she put some ideas together, put the branding together, the logo. And so that sort of brought it to life. And then beyond that, I then just ordered a massive fridge and delivered to my mom's house. <laughs> and um, I, there's going to be a theme here. So I, I'm a big one for, um, you work through your process of making a decision, but then you've got to pull the trigger and make a decision. Mm. So I don't sit on decisions for a long time. I go through my process and then I do it. Because that way you learn a lot quicker. By If you make a bad decision, you learn from it. Not making a decision is the worst thing you can do. So and not doing anything. So I decided I was going to do this thing. Got a fridge delivered to my mom's house. It arrived on her, on her door, on her driveway. And she looked really, really unwell. <laughs> <laughs> the blood drained from her face. And I think it was two things. It was one, oh my gosh, what are you doing with your stable career that I encourage you to do for your whole life? And number two was this fridge really doesn't look like it's going to fit through my doorway. Um, so luckily it did just about, it chipped a bit of the paint off, which I still need to fix, but I will get around to it. Um, and so I had the fridge, got the equipment. We put the website up, um, which we did We did for 500 quid. Built a website for 500 quid, which is amazing when I look back now. And, um, and then just really spent a lot of time on Google, figuring out where to get cheese from. Uh, how to wrap it because I didn't know how to wrap cheese didn't know how to cut cheese the specific ways of cutting and breaking down a cheese and I just learned on the job and uh, when the first order came through in September 2017 I honestly thought to myself why have you ordered cheese from us because I don't know what I'm doing Um, but this lovely lady ordered some cheese a three-month subscription which I'll never forget when that order came through and uh, it was just learning on the job that's all it was. It was learning on the job, but it was it was getting the first things in place to force force us to keep moving forward. You know, next step, next step, and you just keep taking the next step until either it's obvious it's not going to work, or it becomes clear that it's worth trying and and taking another step. And we always got that. So every time we did something else, or tried something different, or took a step forward, we got the feedback that yes, you know, the customers are interested. Yes, we're getting the, the the traffic. Yes, we're getting orders. Mm. Uh, and so you just kept kept going. And, and that's sort of the very early stages of how it started. Did you do a lot of market research? I mean, did you think, because obviously you're biased. You've always, you've loved cheese since you were 11 years old. But how did yeah. you know that there were going to be enough people out there that wanted more than the sort of supermarket offering? I have a belief that, and this doesn't apply to everyone necessarily or every business that you, that you start or, or go into, but... 
I do have a belief when you're when you believe in something and you believe it to be pioneering and you don't believe anyone else is doing what you're doing which is certainly what I feel with this whether you look at the tech or the experience or what we're trying to do for the entire industry as opposed to just our own business I think sometimes it can be very hard for people to really grasp the whole scale of what you're trying to do and so market research can be tricky because how do you frame a question or a set of questions that adequately reflect what you're trying to achieve and that in itself becomes a challenge and complicated and in no way am I equating what we're doing to Apple but if you listen to the founders of Apple 20 years ago 30 years ago speaking they talk about this they say we didn't really do market research what we did was we had an insatiable or unwavering belief that what we were doing was needed and important for society and we just relentlessly went out and produced a product that we knew people would love so I get that that's probably the minority because that seems maybe a bit reckless but that's kind of how we've approached it we haven't done lots and lots of market research when you're also when you don't have a huge amount of money there is a cost to it as well um, and you don't know whether you've done the market research in the right way. So it, it can create more questions. So for us, we felt so sure and confident in what we were doing. And like I said, we were drip feeding new things all the time and we were getting feedback. We were getting customers coming back and we were getting word of mouth. We could see it from where the orders were getting placed that we were, we were you know, for example, Manchester, we were seeing loads of orders in Manchester because clearly people were talking about us. So we just kept going. We just kept going in that way. And um, I've never really believed in investing a lot in market research. I've just believed in let's put together an incredible product that we believe is going to change the face of cheese. And let's just not cut any corners and um, we'll learn pretty quickly Mm. if it's not going to work. You were saying we a lot. Is that just habit? Because was it just you at that <laughs> at that at that point? Do you know what this is fascinating? Because someone else said exactly the same thing to me recently. So the idea for this it was me. Uh, it just com- it, it completely me. But mm. I've always been one to draw on expertise um, and skills from all around me to build the business collaboratively. Whether it's building a website, whether it's operations, logistics. I really make an effort to ensure that it feels collaborative. And so I think that's probably why I always use the term we. And we at the start meant me and my mum. And then it meant me and my mum and Amy and then Rich and then Annabelle who joined. And now we is easier because we means the, the company and the 14 or 15 of us. But I think that's why I always use we because yes, it's my idea. I started the business, but from the very early stage, you know, it couldn't have been done without the people that have joined us on the journey. And uh, I like we, it's nice. It feels like a family, like a team. You've made such a success of this in a really short time. I saw that, I think last year you turned over one and a half million pounds. That's that's amazing. In That was in four years. That's really interesting, that fulfillment challenge. Because I, I didn't realise that cheese was more specialist than maybe another type of food delivery or another type of subscription business can you tell me a bit about what what makes it so difficult to hand this over to someone else to to package and post yeah so so first of all a a piece of cheese is is kind of like a living and breathing thing so uh just to use one example you take like a one kilo wheel of brie 
okay so the minute you cut into that cheese it it starts to kind of very very slowly degrade um it's no longer ripening it's now you stop the ripening process and this piece of cheese is never going to get any better it's actually going to start getting slightly worse on an ongoing basis so really what your challenge is is to say i want you to be eating that cheese as soon as possible after i've cut it uh, that's how you get the cheese tasting how we want it to taste which is as it would off the cheese makers um, like maturing shelf so that's that's the core of the challenge we could portion it up and store it but it wouldn't taste as good but it's like that thing i said earlier about cutting corners this is an example of it where we want you to taste the cheese absolutely fresh so that when you feed back you go that is the best piece of brie i've ever ever tasted and so all of our processes are with that in mind. And that's why we can't outsource. Because not only is it food safety handling uh, on the one side, on the very basic top level, but beyond that is specialty cutting down cheese and, and packaging it and sending it out. So we do it ourselves. Um, and that's, you know, that's the absolute, that's the, that's the specialty, specialty of it. And that's why we can't really outsource to anyone else. That's absolutely fascinating. I love the idea of cheese being this living organism. And you used the example there, Ed, of brie. Now, you'd said earlier that there are like a thousand different varieties. So how on earth do you decide what to put in those boxes? And for those people that have been with you for two years, you don't want to be giving them the same stuff all the time. People have different preferences. Mm. I hate smoked cheese. <laughs> yeah, so like I would be cross if I got lots of smoked cheese. So how do you decide yeah. what goes in? Like it just seems mind-boggling. Yeah, so so the start the starting point is we have a so of those thousand or so, let's call it a thousand, it's a nice round number of varieties. We have around two hundred ish, two hundred, two hundred and fifty that we know at any one time that we will we will enjoy, that we love, that at that time of the season it's gonna be good. So on a live basis, we've got around 250 that we're sending out. Now, of the remaining 750, some of those are mass-produced. They don't tick our box. Some of them we just don't think are actually good enough or certainly not good enough at that time of year. So so from those 250, um, this is where the algorithms come in. So this is where, when I first set up the business, I'm sitting there in front of my spreadsheet for our six subscribers, and I'm working out everything in my head. So I'm like, right, on my spreadsheet, what did they have last month? What do they have the month before? So they've got to get new cheeses. What order should they be in? Uh, you know, what's seasonal? And it took me 45 minutes per person. And so really it was from that moment you're thinking, well, look, this isn't going to scale whatsoever. Uh, I built algorithms uh, in fund management and I thought, well, really, this is what an algorithm is for. It's to automate a, a process that is manual. And in this case, it's getting my brain or decision-making uh, automated through a model and so that's what we did so to answer your question why how, how do we decide well it's algorithms decide it but the algorithms represent the decisions that i would make or a cheese specialist would make so that every time you order instantaneously it runs all of these calculations to say well these are the cheeses you've had before can't have them again it's spring so we want to get goat's cheese in there that's got to be in slot one because you want to have that first the order's right. You say, right, then you can't have a hard goat later because you've already got one goat. So you're going to make it balanced. You can't have these two cheeses because those are both available in a supermarket. You don't have more than one of those. So, they, I mean, there's a lot of these parameters and it runs these instantaneously. Uh, and that's what decides the five cheeses you get each month. But then laid on top of that is any preferences you've given us. So like you've just said, 
if you've ever emailed us saying, I don't like smoked cheese, never send it to me at all. On your dashboard, it's going to say, do not send this customer smoked cheese. Likewise, some customers might say, that cheese I had last month, so good, I want that every month. So then you've that one's got to stick in that slot. And then that also take is taken into consideration. So it's another one of those examples where why make it so difficult? Because every other cheese business in the world sends everyone the same five cheeses every month. It makes it so much easier. Um, it really does. Sometimes I dream about that. Just let's just do that. <laughs> but then I, remind, then I remind myself that uh, we don't like making things easy. But the reason is because if we'd gone down that route, then we'd be sitting here today, Bex. And I wouldn't have a clear USP to talk to you about because we'd just be doing what everyone else does. Uh, yeah, we might have branded it a bit differently and have a fun tone of voice. But the decisions that we made back then have got us to this point now, three years later, where I can sit here and genuinely say that we offer a product that is unparalleled, uh, not just within cheese, but I'd even say it's up there with anything else in the consumer, direct-to-consumer area, whether you're talking about flowers with Bloom and Wild or Gusto with Ready Meals. You know, that management of subscription, the bespoke personalization, being able to tell you that we've picked this cheese just for you. Um, all, all of these factors that we can now get so excited about, they started three years ago. And it's taken that long to get us to where we are today. So, so yeah, there's a lot of decisions that go in, a lot of computations. But the result is you feel like you've got something that's purely unique and special to you as a, as a subscriber. And you wouldn't imagine that, you're talking about cheese and it would be such a high-tech business, but actually building a high-tech backend, starting with the algorithms, but also everything that's then been built on top of it. Tell me about how you've actually created a whole world of tech, which is going to take you sort of into even more ambitious territory in the future. The first big thing is, is scalability. So I've never really set out to set up a nice business, like a family-run business that stays small. And, and this, by the way, there's absolutely nothing whatsoever wrong with that it's just it's not my path wasn't ever to set up a small business and then just tick along for for, for a long time I've always wanted to scale because I've always wanted to tackle cheese in the UK but then beyond so I've always wanted to get artisan cheese to everyone mainstream so scalability is the key thing so what the tech enables you to do is to replicate at scale a very complex model which is everyone getting a unique subscriber journey. Uh, so as mentioned earlier, you can scale it a lot easier if everyone gets the same five cheeses. But the way we do it, 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 it's quite intensive. And to have human beings do that would not be possible. You just have too many people having to make these decisions and everyone getting different cheese. It'd be a nightmare. Just thinking about it actually makes me, uh, <laughs> sort of scares me a bit. But but so having the tech allows you to to do this at scale to provide this customer experience at scale but beyond that it allows you to also take this model in the UK and apply it anywhere else in the world so all you really need is a database of cheese and each of those cheeses tagged according to its style and what it might pair with and that information goes in and then it just runs it as it runs it here with German cheese or with Portuguese cheese or with French cheese and so you can have the cheese geek experience wherever you go. And for me, that's so exciting to think that you could just with your cheese geek app travel to Portugal and order Portuguese cheese, artisan cheese to be delivered in 28 to 48 hours, 24 to 48 hours. 
um, with no necessary knowledge of Portuguese cheese or any cheese for that matter. So it's that incredible democratization of, of artisan cheese, which the tech facilitates. It makes that possible. But what the tech's also done, which we didn't actually think about when we started out, it was always just meant to be an allocation system. But what the tech's also done is it's it's enabled us to have incredibly low stock wastage, for example, because our tech can understand our stock all the way down to how big a piece of cheese is and how many portions you can get out of it based on the orders that have already come through and based on the pipeline of subscriptions. It's why a subscription model is so exciting because you get that runway of visibility of demand. And so our stock system has an incredibly granular understanding of current stock and also what we're going to need for the next week and two weeks and three weeks. And so wastage is incredibly low. It's a, a byproduct of our tech. And then it also means that the cheese is as fresh as it can possibly be because cheese is coming in to go out because the stock management is so good. So so the tech sort of started doing all sorts of other things. And another example of what the tech can do, which we kind of figured out and learned, is that you can now rate every cheese that you've ever tried. And with that information, those ratings can then start to decide or guide our curation process of your future boxes. So we can sort of say, well, you didn't like these cheeses, you like those. This gives us an idea of what you may like or where we might be testing a boundary and we're going to communicate that with you. So you sort of feel like you're on this journey with us. These ratings feed in. And then another angle to, the, to those ratings is that we can feed that back to the cheesemaker. So the cheesemaker might exper experiment with a new batch using a new starter culture or a new process. And what we can do is tag that batch, get customer feedback from that batch in terms of ratings through the app. And we can cross-reference that against the baseline for previous ratings of their cheese. And so it becomes something that the cheesemaker can get value from as well. So the, and there's more examples, but you know the the tech, the core building of this tech has enabled it to achieve so many more things than we thought was possible initially. And how ambitious are you? You said that you never wanted to build just a kind of lifestyle business. Um, so how big would you like this to be? How big could it be? And what where does your ambition come from? There's there's actually it, you've got to go a long way before you hit a limit on this because. You look at the UK cheese industry, it's 3.2 billion. Europe's like 90 billion. The US is 19 billion. We've had people like email us from India, New Zealand, Australia, uh, Switzerland, France, saying this, I think this would work out here. Uh, so you look at the size of those collective markets, that's exciting. But what's also happening is that if you make this work, you're diverting milk from mass-produced cheese to artisan cheesemakers because not all cheesemakers have their own cows. They're not dairy farmers. A lot of cheesemakers are taking milk from local uh, dairy farmers to make their cheese. And so what you're doing is you're not only taking a portion of the specialty cheese market. What we're trying to do is we're trying to actually grow the pie itself, the entire pie and we're trying to say if we can divert milk from mass-produced cheese or even divert milk that goes into uh, a carton to be sold in a supermarket at cost price almost, or sometimes as a loss leader, if we can divert milk to cheesemakers who then add value 
and we can charge a premium because our customers appreciate the end product, then you actually start to completely reconstruct the dairy industry as a whole in a way that is, rather than a race to bottom on price, it becomes a virtuous cycle in terms of product quality, people willing to pay more, and everyone gets more for their work right down to the dairy farmer. And so that the scale of the ambition is is huge in terms of market opportunity, but it's also huge in terms of um, society. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine even on off day, this side of what you do will get you out of bed, will get you figuring out a way through a problem, will we'll, we'll cheer you on, basically. And Ed, you, you gave me a kind of sneak peek at one of your kind of clever strategies that have made you successful. When you said, you know, I don't take a long time about decisions. When I know something needs to happen, I get on with it. Can you tell me any other smart strategies that you've developed that you think have been absolutely key to the success of Cheese Geek? I think the other one is a, it's really like a mindset thing because there tends to be a lot of advice that can be relatively specific um, but in terms of an overall uh, application in terms of what we do at Cheese Geek is definitely mindset and when I say mindset if anyone is saying to me that I'm starting up a business or I've just started up a business the first thing I'm going to say is you are going to come across challenges you're going to come across challenges that you expected but you're also going to come across challenges that you that you had no idea to expect unknown unknowns to take a turn from my finance life. And there's really not a lot you can do about unknown unknowns. Um, and so your final weapon there, or line of defense, is mindset. To say, I accept that we're going to come, we're going to have problems and obstacles. And that's exciting because it's an opportunity for us to fix something and, and provide a solution. And a lot of the problems we've had, the solutions are now applications that anyone in the industry could use to make their life easier and so that's really cool but you don't get that unless you've got the right mindset because I can honestly say a lot of the the struggles we've had like over the years uh, you could have got really down and just been like felt a bit defeated and we've had people far more experienced than us say there's no solution to something or there's no around it computer says no and I think computer says no for me is is one of the biggest things I chan- that chan- I struggle with it, with my employees or with anyone I work with. It's that mentality that this can't be done because I can absolutely guarantee it can be done with the right mindset, and we've we've proven that. Um, and I think connected to that, the other thing I bang on about it drives people crazy at work, but it's so important is process. Um, and process is actually linked to decision making in a big way and it's even slightly linked to um, sort of having the right mindset because if you have a militant process in place for how decisions are made what the culture of your business is what the cheese geek is all about in our case and you have the right process for uh, like I said either decision making but the right process for every individual at the business whatever their job is this is the process then you can trust the process and it also it helps you to then make a decision because you followed the process um, and it also avoids unknown unknowns as much as you can because we've seen it so many times in the past when we've had big problems it's because there's been a glitch in our process that we hadn't spotted and if we'd had the right process in place it wouldn't have happened 
So, so I think processes, just being absolutely meticulous, how are things being done? How are decisions being made? Why are we doing this? And being consistent with how you address all of those things will minimize, it won't eradicate, but minimize those unknown unknowns. Um, and it will also help you be confident when you make a decision to take action because otherwise you just can never commit to a decision. So I think that process is a big one as well. And, and those are things that we use and at leadership level at Cheesegate, we all have those in place. We're decisive. We have meticulous processes and we have a positive uh, problem solving mindset. And we try and ensure that flows through to everyone in the business all the way through. And I think if you have those things in place, you, you're going to give yourself the best possible chance. You went on Dragon's Den and you got yeah. investment. Can you tell me just briefly about that experience and why you did it, what you got out of it, what you learned, all that good stuff? Yeah, so my wife had been saying for ages I should apply for Dragon's Den. And I don't know whether it's like imposter syndrome or you're just never really sure if everyone else is going to think what you're doing is as great as you do. Are you just some crazy cheese person? Um so I always just thought, oh, I don't know, I don't know. Now, also, let's be honest, national TV. I mean, I don't, no one, very few people are like inherently up for just being on national TV, being grilled by dragons. But I think January 2021 came along and I just thought, I, I'm really happy to to talk to, this, to talk to anyone about this business. I think, you know, I just completely believe in what we're doing and I think it's so exciting and so I just did it. I just applied sort of slightly spontaneously. I just made a decision to do it and I just did it. Um, it was like a kiss the frog moment. There's another phrase I use, kiss the frog. It's like, you know, when you've got a list of to do, you've got a to-do list and there's stuff on there that you just really don't want to do. And it always gets left and you just never really do it. But you can feel you've not done it. It just sits there and it's on your mind and you just feel like it's a burden and so I have a policy when you've got something like that on your to-do list, you just got to do it first. Very first thing you do before you do anything else is kiss the frog. And that's what I did that day. I woke up and I was like, first thing I've got to do before I do anything else is apply for Dragon's Den. And yeah, so it went from one thing to another. They got back to me about six weeks later. I'd sort of forgotten about it. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then by, by June, we were filming. And uh, when I when I applied... Stephen hadn't been announced as a dragon. So he only got announced after I, I'd already been invited to go on. And for me, that added another level of excitement because as, to, as a fit, he was perfect. So that was more pressure because then it was like, we've got, you know, we've got to get Stephen. He's absolutely the guy that we need to get. Uh, so yeah, we went up there. It was the, definitely the, one of the most nerve wracking days of my life. Rich, our COO, who's the calmest guy in the world, he never gets flustered about anything. He didn't eat for 24 hours. I mean, he looked pale that whole time. <laughs> and he just, yeah, like I said, he didn't get flustered. He doesn't get flustered. But once it started, you got the pitch out of the way. I, I could talk about this business till the cows come home. Not really, in pun intended there. Um, but I just know the business inside out and I know the opportunity. And so when they start asking questions, you then get into your stride and then it becomes exciting. You're not nervous anymore. You're just excited to share with them what you're doing. And you can sort of see that they're starting to get excited about it. And then you just hit a stride. And um, and then, like you said, we got the we got the result we wanted. Due diligence was super quick. 
because I think we're a bit more mature maybe than some of the businesses that go on there. So the due diligence went through very quickly and it was all, it all ran very smoothly. And um, yeah, just, I mean, great experience, but definitely once in a lifetime. I don't think I could take that level of stress too many, too many more times, but um, it, uh, it, it makes everything else easier when I do events online or whatever it might be, interviews. I I used to maybe get a bit nervous, not anymore, because I'm like, well, look, I've done Dragon's Den. That's the max. So everything else is fine. Um, but yeah, it was a great result and we're really happy to him. How weird was it to watch yourself on TV? Has the episode actually been aired <laughs> now, yeah? Awful. 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 Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, fair enough. I'd be exactly the same. Ed, you've been a phenomenal guest. I've loved talking to you. I feel like... I haven't even scratched the surface of what we could have touched on today. There's so many amazing parts of your business and your plan and your mindset, but I'm going to have to leave it here. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. And like I said, great to chat about cheese and uh, great to chat to you as well. So yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning in. I really hope you found loads of inspiration in the show. If you did please subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Sound Advice is brought to you by Sage. Over 1 million British businesses use Sage's award-winning software to boss their finances, invoicing and cash flow. For show notes and loads of other good stuff around today's themes, visit sage.com slash podcast.